podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'm flying solo on today's podcast. I have two parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our Europa League clash with Legia Warsaw on Thursday. And in part two, I'll preview the big Derby del Sole on Sunday. So let's start with the Europa League match day three fixture against Legia Warsaw. We won the match 3-0 on goals from Lorenzo Insigne, Victor Osimhen, and Matteo Politano. But for a long while, it looked like this match could end in a scoreless draw. As expected, Legia Warsaw defended with 10 men behind the ball. They often packed their entire squad into their own third. Consequently, we had plenty of the ball, and though we didn't score our first goal until the 76th minute, it was a dominant performance. If I counted correctly, we had 17 corner kicks prior to Insigne's goal. We had plenty of quality chances as well, so you did sense that the goal would eventually come, but it definitely took longer than we thought it would. We seemed to play with more urgency in the second half, which I'm sure had something to do with what Spalletti said at halftime, but more than anything, I think it was because Victor Osman came on the field. He's a unique player with a unique playing style, and his presence alone completely changes the look of our attack. I'm glad he didn't start though, I was expecting some rotation, but I certainly wasn't expecting 7 changes to the squad that we fielded against Torino. I thought there were a lot of positive takeaways from some of those rotational players, especially Diego Deme. Spalletti did bring in reinforcements, but I think the plan was for these players to close the match anyhow. What was more impressive was how Spalletti made those changes and how he timed them. We'll cover all of that in this review and we'll revisit our three keys to the match, but first let's review the starting lineups. Legia made 4 changes compared to our predicted 11. They lined up in a 3-5-2 with 19-year-old Cesare Mista in goal. Mike Naraki, Matheus Vietesca, and Artur Jedrzejczyk lined up as the back 3. The center of the midfield was where we were a little bit off. We had Bartosz Siltz in the center of the midfield with Igor Katatin to his left and Andre Martins to his right. Instead, Martins played in the middle with Lukinos to his left and Josue to his right. Philippe Mladenovic started at left wing back and Matthias Johansson started at right wing back. With Josue playing in the midfield, Rafael Lopez started up top alongside Ernest Mucci. Mucci started over Mahir Emreli, which was very surprising to me. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti rotated heavily, making three changes compared to our predicted 11 and seven changes to the squad he fielded against Torino. The first change was in goal with Alex Meret starting over David Ospina. The second change was at centre-back with Kostas Manolas starting over Amir Rachmani. Of course, Kalidou Koulibaly was the other centre-back. The third change was at left-back with Juan Jesus starting over the suspended Mario Rui. Given our full-back situation at the moment, it was no surprise that Giovanni Di Lorenzo started again at right-back. The fourth change was to start Diego Deme over Fabian Ruiz in the double pivot and he played alongside Frank Zambo and Gisa. The fifth change was to play Elif Elmas in the number 10 over Piotr Zielinski, who Spalletti told us before the match would not be in the squad with his glute injury. 
Lorenzo Insigne started on the left wing and Chucky Lozano started over Matteo Politano on the right wing. That was the sixth change. We had Politano in our predicted 11. And finally, Dries Mertens started over Victor Osimen up top. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's quickly revisit our three keys to the match. My first key to the match was that we needed to score at least two goals. My logic was that Legia won both of their matches by a score of 1-0, suggesting that they're not an easy team to score on and that they're capable of scoring goals themselves, even against stronger teams like Leicester City. We scored three goals in this match, so we definitely achieved this goal, though as I said earlier, it took a while for those goals to come. Insigne didn't open the scoring until the 76th minute. Osman scored that crucial second goal in the 80th minute that just about sealed the victory, and Politano put the icing on the cake in stoppage time. Given the time of those goals, we did not achieve my second key to the match, which was that we needed to score early. My logic there was that we knew Legia were going to play compact, which they did, so if we wanted to score more than one goal, we would need to open them up, and the best way to do that is by scoring, because that would force them to attack. That's ultimately what happened just later than we were expecting. Legia did get forward after the Insignia goal, which did open up the field, and we all know what Victor Osman can do when you give him space. That said, even though I was becoming more and more concerned about the draw as the match wore on, you can't fault the players too much because we did create a ton of chances before the goal. By my count, we had 8 quality chances before Insigne scored. Lozano had the free header with the run to the back post early in the first half. Mertens had the shot from a tight angle that was stopped by Mista. Then he had that gorgeous volley that just missed the far post. Lozano had another shot that was stopped by Misa. He kicked it out with his right boot. Then early in the second half, we had the Demis shot that he hit first time from the corner kick that bent just wide of the top corner. A few minutes later, Mista palmed the Di Lorenzo cross straight to Insigne, but his left-footed volley was stopped. Five minutes after that, Insigne played an in-swinging cross to Di Lorenzo at the back post. He had a free header, but he seemed unsure whether he should go for goal or head the ball back across the face of the goal into the danger area where Osman and Mertens were waiting. In the end, he had the ball just outside of Mertens' reach at the back post, and a minute later, Insigne's Tiragiro was stopped by Mista as well. Those were just the quality chances, we had a few half chances as well, and many, many corner kicks. My final key to the match was that we needed to stop Mahir Amreli. As I mentioned, I was very, very surprised to see such a potent goal scorer start on the bench, which meant neither side started their top scorer. Emreli did come on as a substitute in the 71st minute and nearly made an immediate impact. In the 75th minute, he made a great turn in the midfield, carried toward the top of the box, and tried a long-range effort that hit the upright. He did have another substitute, Larim Castrati, open. Castrati is a bit of a super sub. He has blistering pace. I believe he was the player that made the ridiculous run on the wing when Legia scored their late winner against Spartak. But given the outcome, you can't fault Emreli for taking the shot. Meret was very slow in reacting to that shot. The ball bounced a couple of times on its way to goal. So from that distance, he should have made the save. Meret had a couple of shaky moments on the ball as well. And with the way Ospina has been playing, I think we're getting much closer to having a clear number one and a clear backup. I think Meret will become the Europa League and probably the Coppa Italia keeper while Ospina starts in Serie A. So those were our three keys to the match. I want to address a few more points before I close part one. I'll start with the depth of the squad. I mentioned that Spalletti made seven changes to the squad he fielded against Torino. Credit to Spalletti for being so bold. 
I was expecting less rotation because we picked up only one point in our first two matches in the competition, but Spalletti showed faith in his reserves and they performed. Not including Lozano, who I don't really consider a reserve player anyway, I was most impressed with the play of Diego Demme. This was his first start since returning from that knee injury he sustained in the preseason and I thought he played really well. Obviously this wasn't the most difficult opponent, but that also made this the perfect opportunity to give him significant minutes and he took advantage of that opportunity. He played the full 90 minutes and he showed that he can play a very important role on this team. That role, I think, will be to give either Fabian or Anguissa a chance to rest midweek. Those two players have played a lot of minutes with both Deme and Stanislav Lobotka hurt. Fabian got his chance to rest in this match and Anguissa was removed in the 57th minute. I thought Anguissa had a bit of an off game, not that he was bad, I think I've gotten so accustomed to seeing him tear it up in the midfield and that's now become my expectation but again, he and Fabian have played so many minutes that the odd off game is perfectly understandable. Lobotka appears to be close to a return as well. He hasn't played but he was on the bench for this match and the Torino match so he could play a similar role as Demme. Dries Mertens played 72 minutes, which was great to see as well. He's another player who will be really important for us. As we all know, we're going to lose Osimhen for a month during the Africa Cup of Nations, and I think Mertens will be the preferred option during that stretch. For that reason, I want to see Mertens start every match in the Europa League. That way, come January, Mertens will be in form. I suspect that that is what Spalletti is going to do. Andrea Petania will play a role as well. First, he will have to back up both Osimhen and Mertens, as we saw in this match. Petania replaced Mertens in the 72nd minute, and he had a few shots that didn't miss by much, but I think he'll get the occasional start as well. In case the schedule wasn't busy enough, the Coppa Italia starts for us in January. Having finished in the top 8 last season, we will start from the round of 16, and the round of 16 will be played between January 12th and the 19th. If we advance to the quarterfinals, that would be played on February 9th, so we could see Petania play there as well, or perhaps against Venezia on February 5th, so that Mertens can play in the quarterfinals. Another player who provided valuable minutes was Ali Felmas. Now, I must admit, he again looked somewhat lost out there. We keep playing him in the number 10, and it's just not working. But what he does give you is an opportunity to rest players in matches like this, and you can never question his work rate. Politano's goal in stoppage time started with Elmes losing the ball, then racing back to regain possession before switching the play. He did not look tired at all. In fact, he looked like he could run for another 90 minutes if you needed him to. That's something Spalletti acknowledged after the match. Finally, Juan Jesus held his own, covering for Mario Rui at left back again. This wasn't the strongest opponent, so I'm not expecting too many appearances from him, let alone starts. That said, after this performance, I think he earned himself another start in the return fixture in a couple of weeks. I'll close with Spalletti's management of this game. We've already talked about the squad rotation and his in-game management was near perfect once again. In the 57th minute, he replaced Lozano with Osimhen, which I have to say surprised me. Lozano was our biggest threat in the first half. Legia just couldn't handle his pace on the right wing. Unfortunately for Lozano, I think this decision like the decision to remove him from the Torino match, was more a matter of circumstance than a slight on Lozano himself. I think Spalletti wanted Mertens to play longer and I don't think he wanted to remove Insigne early again, which obviously proved to be the correct decision. Instead, he moved Elmas to the left wing, Mertens to the right wing, and Insigne to the 10. 
He also replaced Angisa with Fabian. As I said, Angisa had a bit of an off day, so that wasn't terribly surprising. And like with Mertens, I think Spalletti wanted Demet to play as long as possible too. But Spalletti's real stroke of genius came in the 72nd minute. He made another double substitution, but there was an element of improvisation to these changes as well. Costas Manolas picked up an injury that forced him to come off. As it turns out, he picked up a glute strain, which is curiously the same injury that Zielinski picked up in training. That was unfortunate because I thought to that point Manolas actually had a pretty strong match. He won a lot of balls in the air with Legia constantly launching the ball forward, and the tackle he made when he got hurt was a really important one. Had he not gotten hurt, I think perhaps Juan Jesus would have been the player that Spalletti removed. The obvious replacement would have been Amir Rachmani, but instead Spalletti brought in Petania and switched to a 3-5-2. He also replaced Mertens with Politano, so Almas played as the left wing back, Politano played as the right wing back, and Insigne, Fabian, and Deme played in the center of the midfield. All of those changes were effective. Insigne scored the opening goal from that number 10 spot, assisted by Politano. In truth, the ball from Politano wasn't actually that good. Insigne seemed to get better and better as this match went on. He didn't have a very good match against Torino. Of course, he missed the penalty, but he really showed up for this one. Maybe that penalty miss didn't face him as much because we still beat Torino, but this was a really impressive bounce-back performance. The finish on that goal was unbelievable. Most players wouldn't have even attempted a shot like that, which is why Mista didn't see it coming. The level of difficulty on that shot was through the roof. It's extremely difficult to hit the ball that cleanly on the half volley while turning. That was Insigne's first goal from open play this season, and just when De Laurentiis is thinking he might get away with paying Insigne less, he goes and does that. According to Optopaolo, this was Insigne's first home goal in European competitions since November of 2018, when he scored against PSG in the Champions League. This goal came immediately after Emrelli struck the upright, which is something we see time and time again in football. One team comes so close to scoring, and then their opponent comes right back the other way and scores themselves. Insigne also assisted on the Osimhen goal with a lovely return pass. That goal also came after Legia missed a big opportunity. Kazrati had a free header in front of goal, but his header was really poor, and Napoli immediately countered. Osimhen took his goal really well. He needed only two touches, one to set up the shot and another to finish. Mista left a small opening at the near post and Osimhen took it, but for me, what was far more impressive than the finish was the play that Osimhen made to start the attack. Politano played the ball to Osimhen down the line, but he had to come flying back to receive the pass, then he turned quickly and accelerated down the line. It's hard to explain how great that play was, but if you missed it, I recommend you go back and have another look. Optopalo had a great stat for this goal as well. Osimhen became the second Napoli player to score in each of his first three appearances in a single season in European competition in the 21st century after Dries Mertens. Osimhen nearly scored a ridiculous lob as well, and dare I say it, was Maradona-esque, but that goal was correctly disallowed for offside. Finally, Spalletti used his final substitute to go back to the four-man backline in what looked like a 4-4-2 with about 10 minutes left to play. He did that by replacing Insigne with Rachmani. The last point I'll make is a subtle one, which is that Spalletti never puts himself in a position where he can't use all of his substitutes. He made two double changes, so he still had a substitute available to bring Rachmani on. He avoided making a mistake that Gattuso made on occasion, which was to make three changes without using all five substitutions. 
Chucky Lozano missed seven matches last season with a hamstring injury he suffered against Juventus. In all likelihood, that injury was made worse by the fact that he played injured to finish that match, and the reason he played on was because Gattuso used all three of his opportunities to make changes, but only replaced four players. So full credit to Spalletti, this win got us back on track in the Europa League. We're now second in the table, tied with Leicester City on four points. Legia remained top of the table on six points, but we play them again on November 4th. If we win that match, we'll be top of the table with two games left to play. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll preview the Derby del Sole. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. Let's talk about our match against Roma on Sunday. I feel like every time we play a team in the top half of the table, I find myself saying that this is the biggest match of the season. We said it when we played against Juve, but because Juve were missing key players, we later said the same thing about the Fiorentina match, that that was our biggest test. Fiorentina's form has declined a little bit since then. The team that lost to Venezia looked nothing like the team that we beat. Now we come up against a Roma side who started the year really well, but have faltered lately too. Roma come into this match sitting in 4th in the table, but they're already 9 points behind us on 15 points. They started the season with 6 straight wins in all competitions. In Serie A, they beat Fiorentina, Salernitana, and Sassuolo. But since then, they've lost 4 of 7 matches in all competitions, including 2 huge matches. First, they lost to Derby della Capitale, and then last round, they lost 1-0 to Juventus. I had two minds about that result. On one hand, it was good that the team closer to us in the table lost. On the other hand, we never want to see Juve win, and even though they were further down the table, we probably still viewed them as a bigger threat to us than Roma. Roma's biggest problem under Paolo Fonseca was that they could never seem to beat the top teams, and so far this season that hasn't seemed to change. To make matters worse, Roma were embarrassed by FK Bodo Glimt 6-1 in the European Conference League, According to Paolo, that was the first time in 1,008 matches that a side managed by Jose Mourinho has conceded 6 goals. With his last couple of clubs, Mourinho's teams have started well, and by Christmas they were in full meltdown mode. That appears to be happening now at Roma. After the loss to Juve, Mourinho was asked about his substitutions and he said, There are benches and there are Serie A benches. Today we played Karsdorp, who had been a doubt until the last moment, and then we had Reynolds, Kumbula, Califiori, and then he just stared at the media before the press conference ended. In other words, without being explicit, he said those three players are not good enough. I can understand that feeling about Reynolds and Califiori, but Kumbula was one of the best young center backs in the league when he was at Hellas Verona. Then after the Bodo Glimt match, he basically threw his entire reserve team under the bus. He talked about how his reserves are not up to par and that if he could, he would start the same 11 every match, but he needs to ensure that they don't get hurt. He went so far as to say that Bodo Glimt's starting 11 had more quality than Roma's starting 11. Now, Mourinho did rotate nearly his entire squad for that match. I think Roger Ibanez and Rui Patricio were the only regular starters in the starting 11 for that match. But even if it's true that Bodo Glimp's starting 11 had more quality, you can't make comments like that. Your players are going to see that and it's demoralizing. Even for the starters, if they see their coach talking about their teammates that way, they're going to be thinking, what's to stop him from making those comments about me? So I'm very curious to see how these Roma players approach this match. While Mourinho may not be too fond of his reserve players, he is quite fond of his starters and for good reason. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. 
Roma line up in a 4-2-3-1 with Rui Patricio in goal. Chris Smalling is out again with a muscle injury, so Roger Ibanez and Gianluca Mancini will likely start at centre-back. Matias Vigna continues to start at left-back while Leonardo Spinazzola inches closer to full health, while Rick Karsdorp usually starts at right-back. Brian Cristante and Jordan Vertu will start in the double pivot. The one doubt in this squad is whether Nicolo Zaniolo will start this match. Zaniolo left the Juve match holding his right knee and of course he has a history of knee injuries. Fortunately, the medical staff confirmed that there was no damage to the ligaments, but he does have a mild strain. Typically, that's a 10-day recovery, but Zaniolo wants to play, and in Mourinho's pre-match conference for the Bodo Glimt match, he said Zaniolo would be there for Napoli. He may be there, he may even suit up, but I highly doubt he plays. That means Stefan El Shirawi is likely to start on the right wing, Henrik Mkhitaryan will start on the left wing, and Lorenzo Pellegrini will start in the number 10, behind Tammy Abraham. For Napoli, I think Luciano Spalletti's starting 11 is fairly easy to predict this time around. He'll line up in the 4-2-3-1 with Davido Spina in goal. With Manolas Hurt, Amir Rachmani and Kaladu Koulibaly will start at centre-back. Mario Rui will be well-rested to start at left-back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start at right-back. Frank Zambo and Gisa and Fabian Ruiz should start in the double pivot and Gisa played only 57 minutes and Fabian played only 33 minutes midweek. Really, the only position I think might be difficult to predict is who starts in the number 10. If Zielinski is fit, then he'll start there, but otherwise we have a few options. We could either play Elie Felmas or Dries Mertens in the 10, or we could move Insigne to the 10 and play Elmas on the left wing. I think either Matteo Politano or Chucky Lozano could start on the right wing, but I'll go with Politano. Finally, Victor Osman will start at striker. So those are our starting lineups, next let's get to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is that we need to win the battle of the midfield. Both teams have very strong midfielders. We have Anguisa and Fabian behind Zielinski, and Roma have Vertu and Cristante behind Pellegrini. If we match them up player by player, i definitely take Anguisa over Cristante. Anguisa is bigger, stronger, and at least as technical as Cristante. I'd say Fabian and Vertu are just about equal. Vertu is a bit more involved in Roma's attack than Fabian is, and I think he tends to be more consistent as well, but on his day, Fabian can be very, very good. That battle may just be the key to who wins the midfield. Finally, in their current form, I think you'd have to take Pellegrini over Zielinski. I love Zielinski, but he hasn't been consistent this season, and that's largely because of the injuries. Meanwhile, Pellegrini looks like a player reborn under Jose Mourinho, he already has 4 goals in 7 appearances this season. Pellegrini's most productive season was last year when he scored 7 goals, so he's on pace to blow that record out of the water. My second key to the match is we need to attack the right wing. Whether it's Matteo Politano or Chucky Lozano starting, I think we match up very well against Matias Vigna. I have not been impressed with Vigna who Roma purchased to play at left back while Leonardo Spinazzola recovers from his torn Achilles. Vigna has often been at fault on the goals that Roma have conceded. Now, I previewed this match on La Magicast, which is a Roma podcast, and the host Scott noted that Vigna did just have his best match of the season against Juventus. That may be true, but I think the reason he had his best match was because Juve sat back and defended after they scored in the first half. That meant Vigna didn't have much defending to do, and in fact, he could get forward and join the attack quite regularly. That's why he had a good match, because he was contributing in the attacking half, but on the defensive end, which is his primary responsibility, 
he hasn't been very good. He was even beat by Bentancur on that Juventus goal. Bentancur just didn't get credit for it because his header bounced off of the head of Moise Kane before the ball ended up in the back of the goal. If we start Politano, then I think Vigna will have trouble defending Di Lorenzo's overlap, and if we start Lozano, I think he'll have trouble with Lozano's pace. My final key to the match is that we need to keep our cool. With this one, I'm really focusing on Victor Osiman more than anyone else. We know Victor has lost his cool on occasion, and he'll be matched up with Gianluca Mancini, who's a player who knows how to push a player's buttons. Other than Giorgio Chiellini, Mancini might be the biggest expert in the dark arts in the league. He's going to tug and pull on Victor's shirt, he's going to step on his foot accidentally on purpose, he's going to give you the elbow when the ref's not looking, and honestly, I wouldn't even blame Mancini for trying this stuff because right now there does not appear to be any other way to stop Victor, so Victor will need to keep his cool because if he retaliates, he could easily get sent off, we already saw that happen once this season against Venezia. But even if Osman doesn't react and doesn't get sent off, Mancini might be able to just frustrate him enough to get him off his game. So I do want to see more production from other players. When we had Mosalad come on the pod, I asked him if he's concerned that we're becoming too dependent on Victor for goals because that concerns me a little bit at the moment. Unfortunately, the Legia Warsaw game didn't prove me wrong. I was really hoping we would score a goal or two without Victor on the pitch, but as we discussed in part one, that didn't happen. So that will be a key matchup to keep your eyes on. On the other end of the pitch, Koulibaly will have the onerous task of marking Tammy Abraham, which is another fantastic matchup to look out for. Tammy played through an ankle injury against Juve and off the bench against Bodo Glimt, but I wonder if he's at 100%. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 2-2 draw. For Napoli, I'll give the goals to Victor Osman and Lorenzo Insigne, and for Roma, I'll give the goals to Henrik Mkhitaryan and Lorenzo Pellegrini. I think this will be a very difficult match away from home. Even though Roma have lost three of their last five Serie A matches, all three of those matches were away from home. That means they are a perfect 4-0-0 at home, including wins against Fiorentina and Sassuolo, who are both solid teams. Of course, we're a perfect 4-0-0 away from home, so something's got to give. Both teams will be rested after starting so many reserve players in their respective European fixtures. We'll be looking to set a club record with 9 consecutive wins to start a Serie A campaign. Meanwhile, Roma will be looking to redeem themselves to their fans who are not too forgiving after the loss to Bodo Glimt, as well as for the loss to Juve, and who better to do that against than their two-time former coach. So that will do for this preview, I hope you enjoy the match. Before I let you go, I do have a bit of an administrative update for you. You might have noticed that we now have ads on the podcast. That's because we are now part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, which is a network of sports podcasts. The hope is that we can use the resources of this network to continue to grow the podcast, be it through cross-marketing or other initiatives. So hopefully you don't mind the ads. I've also decided to remove the Napolitan songs from the podcast. To be honest, that's something I've been conflicted about for quite some time. The reality is, I don't own that content, but at the same time, I figured it was free promotion for the artists. I know a lot of you have reached out to me about the songs, so starting next week, I'll post a Napolitan song on our social media account on a weekly basis. On the second episode of the week, I'll give you a quick introduction to the song, and then I'll post a link to the song after the episode posts. Hopefully this way, you can continue to discover Napolitan music, and I can continue using this platform to promote those artists. 
So that's where we'll leave it. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fisket D5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fortsanopoly Pod. I'll be back next week to review the Roma match and to preview our midweek fixture against Bologna. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Podcast Network.